I'm always grateful for the uh, warmth that I receive when I come here. And it's partly because you don't know me very well. You see, I breeze in. I breeze in, I breeze out. You probably think, he's all right, that guy, you know. My wife wakes up with me Monday morning. It's a different story, you know. Not always, I'm not that bad. But um, the story today really is the best is yet to come. Okay, the best is yet to come. And we're going to be looking at the presence of God in eternity. And also looking at the presence of God throughout the Bible. Don't worry, it's not going to be that long. But we're going to look at the presence of God very much. But uh, the best is very much yet to come. And I'm being serious. You know, I, I can be grumpy. I'm sure you can be. And I hope as a body of believers, you're committed to one another. Because it is easy to stay superficial. And occasionally, you know, I meet Christians sometimes, even even in our church, who are much more comfortable just being on the very edge. It's risky, isn't it, to come in and commit to relationship because you might get hurt. And of course, the best is yet to come in heaven. There won't be any pain up there. But down here, we do let each other down. We let people down as much as people let us down. And so there's something beautiful about believers who say, you know what, I'm going to get my hands dirty in relationships. I'm going to commit. I'm going to, you know, love people even when it hurts. I'm going to be part of this. And seeing a whole body of believers just grow in love and the depth of it. I mean, marriage is classic for that, isn't it? You've, you, you know, you, you rub up against each other so closely and uh, so on. About two years ago on our anniversary, it was quite funny because uh, I took my wife out for a meal uh, on a little beachside cafe, uh, a beautiful time. And as we came out of the restaurant, I said, you know, we need to get back really. And my wife was saying, can we just go on the beach and have a couple of photographs, do you know? And I was very male and practical, and I said, no, I think the car is running out of time. We better get back. With that, one of the staff came up and said, oh, you make a lovely couple. Could I take a photograph of you at the end of the pier? So I thought, oh, I don't know. I said, okay. So we went down. As I came back into the car park, there's a man photographing my vehicle, about to give me a parking ticket. So uh, I wasn't happy. I mean, one of their staff had kept us 10 minutes, and now another one of their staff is about to give me a parking ticket. My wife said, I got a glimpse of what you were like before you became a Christian. But it worked. We didn't get a ticket. I drove off and everything. We're not perfect. The best is yet to come, okay? I'm just giving you a few humorous examples. But you know from your own lives that the best is yet to come in heaven. Wow, it's been great coming here this morning. And as soon as I got here and we prayed, just sensing the Spirit of God ministering to me personally... It's lovely when we come and we want nothing more than to come and sense the presence of God in our meetings. In fact, in 2002, it was great. Your first three songs were golden oldies, weren't they? From Matt Redman era, 97, 98, 99. I went to Soul Survivors. Anybody go in there this year? No. Anybody going to New Wine? Anybody going anywhere? No. One person. Great. But when you go away like that, I remember in 2002, as a youth pastor, I had an excuse to go. I mean, I'm 56 now. I would love to go to Soul Survivor this year, but I would look a little bit strange loitering around a bunch of teenagers just because I want to worship God for five days in a field. But it was fantastic. I was a youth pastor. I was there. And you know what it's like at a festival like that? It, in one sense, it's not real. And in another sense, it's so real. But you're... you're Taken away from life as we know it, the MOT, the the rent, the the pesky boss or employee or colleague or whatever it is, all your troubles have gone for five days. You get in a field and you worship God 
day and night. Day and night. And in between, you meet with the people of God and have fellowship day and night. And unsurprisingly, cumulatively, you start experiencing God in great ways. And then you're in a meeting. I'm sure you've been there. Many Pete souls have in those old days. I'm sure it's the same now. All of a sudden, the presence of God just seems to come. And it, it, the manifestation was sometimes just weeping, people weeping over their sin. Other times it would be uh, joy. Other times it might be healing. It might be giving people guidance, vision, whatever. The Spirit of God doing different things. But the sense of weight, God is here. Awesome. Just sort of, wow, God is here. And so back then it was unsurprising that the album from Soul Survivor in about 2002 was called Glimpses of Glory. don't know if anybody ever got it. But I had this album. It was called Glimpses of Glory. And I remember thinking, that's exactly it. It's glimpses of heaven. Just glimpses. That's all we get on earth. I don't want to disappoint you. But when we come here today, we get glimpses. It says, you know, in, the, in his presence, this happens. Our fears are stilled. Things happen. But it's glimpses. Beautiful glimpses. It says in the Bible, doesn't it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. We taste him. We know that he is good, but we know that the best is yet to come. No matter how good things are on earth, it is a mere pointer and a mere glimpse of the future glory. A couple of weeks ago, some of us went, and I'm sure you've heard about it, to the battlefields of Normandy, a group of men. And um, it was quite an emotional trip. And I held the emotions down like a man for most of the day. And then we got to a graveyard at the end, and we saw the grave and the story of one guy who'd run up a bridge, bit of a hero, played for Aston Villa, QPR. I like that story because I love football. And so I thought, there's this poor guy, 29 years old, in his prime. He's taken the lead. He's been shot. We saw the bullet holes literally on the bridge of where he'd been cut down. And then it said he left. A baby was born two weeks after he died. He left a wife. I started to... Well, I am now. I just started to get quite emotional. I thought, wow. And then we turned the corner, and there was a field of graves, field of crosses. I mean, huge. And it suddenly hit me that every one of those is a story like this guy. Every one. And, and I lost it. I absolutely thought, wow, this is just too much. This is the suffering of this world. This is the wages of sin is death. This is a broken world. And if ever you want evidence of a broken world, you go into a war cemetery, don't you? Then I started reading the graves. One particular grave just made, took me to another level of grief. It said, we prayed for you every day, but it was not to be. I put myself as a Christian parent. I've got two boys. I imagine one of them going off knowing that he's landed on D-Day. And I'm there praying at home. Would you be? You'd be there when you, God, keep him safe, Lord. You'd be reading passages about even though a thousand fall on the left and a hundred fall on the right. I'll be safe. You'd be doing all that. And all of a sudden you get the news 10 days later that your son has died. I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it? Life here, I'm going to tell you now, you might as well get used to it. It will not make sense down here without a real strong view of eternity. And so those parents, they would have just gone, what is going on, Lord? But unless you have a solid view of eternity this life sometimes will it will derail you and so i encourage you today that the best is yet to come we see plenty of good things and plenty of great things on this earth but there are times when you won't be able to make sense of it outside of eternity 
There's a psalm, Psalm 73. The guy writes something like this. He says, when I looked around, I saw the evildoers prospering. And you know, Hitler prospered for a while. There's plenty of wicked people out there at the minute. Doing very nicely, thank you. There's also very many God-honoring, God-fearing people that are getting persecuted in many countries of the world. Some of you will get a hard time at your workplace, a hard time here and there because you're a believer. And you can be tempted, like that psalmist was, to get bitter and to get depressed. And he said, all this was oppressive to me until, and this is the key thing, until I entered the sanctuary of God, until I came into the presence of God, and then I understood their final destiny. And it all made sense. He knew that it's all going to be fair in the end. But this life ain't fair. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but Francis Chan once got a huge rope. I mean really long. I don't know how many meters of rope it was. And he marked the very tip of it with a red felt pen. And he said, this bit is our life here. And then he began to pull the rope and pull the rope and pull the rope. And he said, this is eternity. And he said, we spend nearly all our time worrying and fussing and fretting about this little bit here. Uh, You know, making decisions, everything we do about this little tip on the end, forgetting the fact that the life to come is going to be an awful lot longer. It's really healthy to have a great view of heaven and a great view of eternity. We studied heaven in house groups last year for about six weeks. We looked at the passages on heaven. Try and make some sense of it. Because the tragedy is, if you get a systematic systematic theology book, like Wayne Grudem's or whatever it is, you'll get about 50 pages on hell. We love hell. We love bashing people with hell. We love studying hell. What is wrong with us? You get two pages on heaven. Nobody knows you ask a Christian, what's heaven like? They go, oh, I don't know, it's going to be good though. What's hell like? Oh, weeping, gnashing, demons. Oh, we know everything about hell. We don't, but we think we do. But we seem to not spend a lot of time considering the big bit. I really want to encourage you because I once prayed like a fool. I prayed for God to give me a view of hell. A vision of hell. In the hope that would it increase my evangelistic zeal. What I actually got was something very different. I seemed to get this picture of heaven. I thought that's weird. I asked for a vision of hell. I seemed to have got a bit of a vision of heaven. What I didn't know was I was going to have one of the toughest years after that. And that vision of heaven kept me going. You see, if you want to persevere on this earth, sometimes you've got to have a really big view of heaven and what it's like. And you're going to get some really good news in a minute about heaven. So we looked a little bit about heaven. You hear stories, don't you? Or people saying, what's it going to be like? There's loads of questions you can ask. In fact, I've got a little list here. Do you ever ask yourself these questions about heaven? What will I be like in heaven? What kind of body will I have? Will it be physical? Will we be floating around? We can have arms and legs? We looked at these things. It's worth knowing. It's worth, it's worth uh, meditating on. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, he, he seemed to have arms and legs, didn't he? He went and cooked fish on a beach. They didn't sort of recognize him. He seemed to be able to get through walls. So he was different. But there seemed to be some continuity when he was raised imperishable. He wasn't totally disconnected from what he was when he was on earth. Will I be recognizable in form, in personality? Will I be able to recognize those I love? 
The famous Cornish evangelist Billy Bray was in Lascard once. He was ministering to somebody on their deathbed. She said, here, Billy, she said, are we going to know each other in heaven? He said, what do you think? We're going to be more thick up there than we are down here. Now, it's a good thing. She was thinking, are we going to know each other up there? His answer was, you think we're going to know less up there? We don't know, though, do we? But these are things worth pondering. Will we know each other more or less? Will I be able to recognize them? What will I be doing in heaven? It's funny, the guys that love work, the sort of workaholics, they're convinced there's going to be a lot of work in heaven. And we've got to be really careful that we don't make our idols down here. In heaven, there's going to be loads of football. I'm going to be playing football all the time in heaven. You know, I'm going to be working all the time. Whatever it is, we love on earth. Don't get me wrong. There will be some form of work in heaven, I believe, activity. Let's just call it creative activity rather than work. Because when we think work, we think of after the fall, don't we? Thorns, thistles, pain, sweat of the brow. But remember, Adam was just placed in the garden to work it, to take care of it. Beautiful. Take a little step back, look at it. That's really nice. No pressure, no deadlines, nothing unpleasant, just pleasant. What will we be doing in heaven? Will all my desires be fulfilled in heaven? Will I be able to progress, develop, or grow in heaven? Because at the end of the day, that's meaning to us, isn't it, here? We want to feel that we're moving forward. Do we do that in heaven, or have we arrived? What kind of mental or emotional recall will I have in heaven from my time spent on earth? Because we go, if there's no pain up there, but I can remember all these grim things that happened down on earth, how am I going to be free up there? These are great things. I'm not giving you all the answers today, because that would be another sermon. But what I'm trying to get at is that we need to be looking at heaven and getting the answers on a lot of this in order that we're just certain that it's fantastic. And then it says things like, what will my place of habitation be like? How big will my mansion be? Will it be bigger than somebody else's? Will I be envious? No, you won't. And so on and so on and so on. But I want to tell you, if you study the passages on heaven, we're going to look at one in a minute, you get a surprising amount of answers and assurance and faith that comes from going, you know what? This is tough here right now. This issue is really tough, but I'm hanging on. I don't want to jeopardize that long, long bit of rope for just being stupid for a few moments down here because I can't have any self-control here, just here and now. Well, before we go forward, I just want to briefly go backwards. We have to do that sometimes in life, don't we? You know, we had some incident or trauma maybe in our life. Sometimes you've got to go back a little bit in order to be able to go forward in freedom. And I want to go back to Eden before we go forward to heaven. Just one other thing, by the way. When we talk about the presence of God in eternity, if you notice when Jesus talks in Matthew's gospel, when Matthew quotes him, he always says the kingdom of heaven. In Mark and Luke, it always says the kingdom of God. Now, the reason for that is that you couldn't say Jehovah to the Jewish people for fear of getting stoned. Matthew's gospel is to the Jews. And so he is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Was John the Baptist born of heaven? Make up your own minds and so on. In the other gospels, it's the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. Make up your own minds. Was John born of God or born of man? Interesting, isn't it? Heaven and God, almost interchangeable. In other words, right away we have a pointer that the big deal about heaven is the presence of God. Because otherwise we can get a little bit caught up in the gold streets and the pearly gates and everything that it's about and forget what the real beautiful thing about heaven is. 
that thing we got a glimpse of this morning, being in the presence of God. That's the big deal about heaven. You imagine if you're a lady and you're getting married and you want a beautiful wedding, because most ladies do, and you think about the wedding, you got it, all the details, and then you're thinking, and oh, what's more, we're going to have a fantastic honeymoon. You've been single a long time, and so you book the honeymoon, but you forgot, there's two of you now, you book one ticket. You get to the Maldives, it's beautiful, but the bridegroom's not there. It's not the same, is it? So heaven, the big deal is that the bride are with the bridegroom. We're going to see some of these things in a minute. Let's just go back to Genesis 2. It says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye. I mean, we get that now. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. We get that now. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. It went into four headwaters. One went to Havilah where there is gold. Just remember some of these features of Eden where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. So there's a river, there's trees, there's fruit, there's gold, there's onyx. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So there was a form of work, but not work as we know it. And then you remember, there was just one test. You can eat the fruit of everything apart from this one tree. Just one test to prove that they honored God. One small test. And as you know, Adam passively stood by. His wife was tempted, allowed herself to be tempted. Maybe he didn't pass on the teaching properly. Whatever. But the Bible clearly says that both were majorly at fault. And so, the fall came. But the interesting thing, at that moment that they sinned and they were afraid of God, it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, what? As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, among, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What I want you to get from Eden is some of those characteristics. But the big deal about Eden, God walked through the garden with his people. There's God just coming through the garden. I mean, I don't know exactly what that looked like. But what I want you to get is the connection of man and God is unbroken, if you know what I mean. It's, it's just so close. There's God walking through the garden. Hi, God. Hi, Adam. I mean, that's what it's like. It's that intimate, that unbroken, that beautiful. God with man. Then the fall comes. And God says this because of it. He announces the consequences. I discipline my kids sometimes. I don't, I don't love it to say you're banned from this for a week or whatever it is. But sometimes I have to do things that let them know it's just not acceptable. God had to pronounce a couple of judgments on Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And then it says, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, no longer 
was he allowed to eat from the tree of life, which brings eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Death has now entered the world. And Adam, the consequences, this beautiful, perfect place has been spoiled. And so the beautiful, perfect place has to have the sp- what spoils it out. Has to go. Adam, they have to now work like we know work. She has to have children like you know how much it hurts to have children. You know how much it hurts to bring up children. It's rewarding, but it's painful as well. And so now we live in a world that has much pain. Before we get to heaven, we've looked at Eden. Just remember then, the rest of the Bible is a story about God connecting with his people. So at one point, it was just in the tabernacle, in Solomon's temple, in the Holy of Holies, this cube, 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits, where God dwelt. And because the wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners, nobody could enter into the presence of God without literally dropping dead. Apart, one exception, the chief priest, once a year, if he sufficiently cleansed himself and prepared himself, could enter into the presence of God on behalf of the people of God. And they even put a rope around his ankle so that if he did it in an irreverent way and he did drop dead, they wouldn't have to go in and get him. So they dropped dead too. They could pull him out. That's how serious it was. But all the time, God has been saying, I'm going to be sending a savior in the due time. Now, I don't know in the wisdom of God why he came to Israel in that particular year, but that was in God's wisdom. That was the best time for Jesus to come. At that point, right at the head of like three continents for the gospel to spread out, Jesus picked that moment and he came. But what was he called when he came? Emmanuel, what does that mean? God with us. So all of a sudden we've gone from Eden and now Jesus has come and once again, God is walking around the earth. And people are going, I had tea with him. Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, all these people. I met him. He was amazing. I met God. He was amazing. I actually sat in the presence of God and talked with him. Incredible, isn't it? That which was lost in Eden, in part now, is being uh, reformed. But Jesus said, I'm on here on a mission. I'm on a mission to die. It's best for you that I go. Don't worry, when I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit. In other words, you'll still be able to have me, but you then got a job to do. And then, one day, we will all be back together in heaven. This is the gospel. It's beautiful. I want to have a look now at a famous passage that we often read at funerals and so on. Uh, A new heaven and a new earth. Starting at Revelation 21, it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sea, by the way, in Jewish circles, has to do with uh, terror and fear and everything like that. So there was no sea. I saw the holy city. Now, if you're a Christian and you don't like people, don't worry. You're going to be given the grace in heaven to like people. I hope you like people, by the way. It's a bit of a... A contradiction to say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I don't really like people very much, all right? It doesn't go together. If you love God, you, you need, you sort of almost have to love people. 
And in heaven, there's going to be an awful lot of people. It's a holy city. But everything that's good about cities will be in heaven. And everything that's bad about cities, like crime and pollution and everything else, won't be there. We'll see that in a minute. But everything that's good about cities, they're happening places, aren't they? I love going away for city breaks with me and my family. There's always something going on. It's good. It's a buzz. It's great. There's a lot of people and we like it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. When you walk into heaven, it's going to be wow. I paid for our, our, our wedding. My in-laws didn't have any money. I'm not bitter. I'm Cornish. I'm tight. It was hard. But I paid for the wedding. But we had to draw a line somewhere. And we were in South Africa. We found a nice dress. Cheap. 50 quid. It wasn't a wedding dress. But we agreed that that was what Bromin would get married in. That was one of the cuts, as it were. And so on the day of the wedding, I'm at this place where you are with the minister. And you hear the music coming. And I turned around and I looked. And praise God. But one of her best friends said, I'm buying you a beautiful dress. I didn't know it. And I turned around and she had the most beautiful dress on. She was absolutely beautiful. And now that image is with me forever, this side of heaven. It's a beautiful image. I'm so thankful to that friend because it was beautiful. This is what heaven is like. It says it's as a bride beautifully prepared for her husband. When you walk into heaven, you're going to go, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. It has been so beautifully prepared for me. This is good, isn't it? And so I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. This is the big deal about heaven. God is there. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And we love these next lines. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. How beautiful is that? What, what do you cry about on earth? What do you cry about? What, what causes you to shed a tear? What brings you pain in your life down here? Is it, is it, is it sickness? Is it disease? You know, you, it, it is right to, to cry at times. If you're frustrated with the limitations of your physical body, it's going to go in heaven. I lost my father this year. Broman's lost her father this year. That's mourning. It's right to cry when your dad dies. However close you were or weren't to him. Sad. It's pain. We went to those battlefields. It was sad. It was awful. It was pain. It made me cry. Lots of things make me cry. I hope lots of things make you cry. Because this world is full of sorrow. Not up there. All gone. There will be no more death. Or mourning. Or crying. Or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We don't want to jeopardize this, chaps. And ladies, we're going to be living, playing fast and loose with God down here, jeopardizing our eternity. It's not worth it. It's so good. He also, sorry, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write these down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of life. Somebody prayed for me this morning about water. I felt very much in need of living water on the way down today. And this is why we come to church to be refreshed. We hope the river of God, as it were, is going to flow. And we're going to drink those living waters in Eden. There is a river. We'll see it in a minute. But it says anybody who is thirsty in heaven, you won't have any sense of dissatisfaction. If you're brutally honest with yourself, an awful lot of your time on earth is spent thinking about if I get the new this, if I get that, if I build the extension, if I upgrade my car, if I upgrade my McDonald's, if I upgrade whatever it is, I will be happy. You know, be honest, we do. It takes up too much time of our time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as the rest of you. But up there, there will be no sense of in, it's not enough. There will be full satisfaction every day. Full contentment. Now, I encourage you to make God your primary source of life. Well, you're, He is the only source of actual true life. And it's not wrong to upgrade your car. It's not wrong to build an extension. But it's a fine line between making God our source and making something else our perceived source of joy or happiness. But up there, it just says, whenever you're thirsty, just, just take a drink. You'll be fully satisfied. The angel, moving on to verse 15, who talked with me, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as wide and as high as it is long. A cube. Where did we see that before? In the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple. Heaven is a cube that's 1,500, that's the distance of 12,000 stadia, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. That's the size of a good part of Europe. There are a lot of people there, but there's a lot of space. People have even done studies of how much space each person gets, and you'd be surprised that even with, you know, <laughs> projected salvations and projected acreages, there's, there's plenty of space. That's going too far. But it's a big place. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. That's a very thick wall. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold as pure as glass. Remember we saw gold in Eden? We saw a river in Eden. The city is of pure gold. Now, some people say, oh, this is symbolic. And other people say, no, no, it's literal. The city is made of gold. I don't care if it's symbolic or literal. It's not worth getting hung up on. The point is, it is incredible. Whether it's symbolic of something incredible, or whether it actually is gold as glass, it's incredible. Hence the phrase, you know, we get to heaven, the streets are paved with gold. But it's going to be absolutely incredible. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, the fifth onyx. Remember that kind of Eden? Gold, onyx. With every kind of precious stone, including onyx. The great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The good news is there's no churches in heaven. 
There's no temple in heaven because God is there. Full on, 24-7, non-stop, in the presence of God. I just want to remind you that those best moments you've had in the presence of God, those best moments you've had, just think of a few. When you've just been there, whether it's been on your own or in a corporate gathering, and you just feel in the presence of God. We used to sing songs, didn't we? Like, and in his presence, our problems disappear. Our hearts respond into his love. The problems don't disappear. It's just our perspective changes. Often, sometimes the problems go as well. But that beautiful thing when God comes and we feel, as we sang this morning, chains go, burdens go. He has this power to rid us of everything that oppresses us. Imagine being in heaven and the presence of God is... There's nothing. There's nothing that can give you even that much burden. You're in the presence of God. There's no temple there because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city, this is the only bit that I struggle with. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. If you live in England... You nigh on worship the sun. I mean, I really don't like our winters. I'll be honest. I don't like them. I literally go, summer be here soon. Summer be here soon. And then the sunshine comes. I don't worship it. But I'm tempted to almost worship the sun. I'm only joking, by the way. I have no desire to worship the sun. But the point is, I love the sun. So when I read in heaven that there won't be the sun and the moon, part of me goes, oh, I'm going to miss that. But I have to trust God. That his light is superior. Because it says this. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. I mean, come on. Is God and the Father and Jesus the lamb. Are they going to give a better light than the sun? I mean, they made the sun. Come on. They can do anything that's better, superior. So I trust them that the light in heaven is going to be just wonderful to bask in 24-7. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. You see, another thing about the gates not being shut, do you remember, you older people, that you could once leave your house and not lock your door? I mean, I do sometimes in this guard, i got to say. But when I was a kid, nobody locked their doors. Didn't have to. This is... A beautiful picture of a society where there's no crime, if you like. My wife's from South Africa. Complete opposite scenario. Electric fences, barbed wire, broken glass, anything to stop people coming in. To stop people coming in. In heaven, gates don't need to be locked. It's safe. Totally safe. We live in a pretty secure area here in Cornwall. But even in our area, Felix, who you know, didn't lock his door the other night. He was awoke about two o'clock in the morning. Somebody tapped his wife on the shoulder, got into the house, fleeing a county lines drug gang. They were after him. The guy had actually soiled himself. He was so scared and he tried every, every handle he could get in to find some refuge. And he actually went into Felix's house, which is probably quite a good person. He pinned him to the ground very gently, shared Jesus with him and then phoned the police. (laughs) But, uh, But it's incredible. You see, we have to lock our doors even in Solstall and Liscard. Really, in heaven, you don't have to shut your gate. On no day will gates ever be shut. Because why? Nothing impure will ever enter it. Isn't this great? It'll never get spoiled. 
Nothing impure will ever enter it. By the way, think about your homes and keeping them as places of purity. You know what I mean? It's a constant battle, isn't it? When you've got kids, what are you going to allow into your home? It used to be TV, didn't it? Can you watch this? Can you watch that? But just even things and people and concepts, it's interesting. But it says about heaven, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're nearly finished. Chapter 22. It goes on to say this. On each side of the river, remember the river in Eden, stood the tree of life. Remember the tree of life in Eden. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. In other words, I believe that is just saying endless fruit. Endless fruit. Endless fruit. No season when you're going, can't wait for the fruit season. Every month, every month, every month, it's fruitful. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will seek his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's just one passage on heaven. It's beautiful, isn't it? Doesn't it just make you think, wow, even if I have a rough couple of years down here, even if I have a rough 10 years down here, 20 years down here, there is something beautiful. And all the time, God is giving us glimpses of what is to come. All the time, it says we, are, we, we have a deposit, if you like, down here. We've, we've experienced God. We have a deposit guaranteeing us this future inheritance. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we are sometimes overjoyed at what you've done for us here and now. We thank you that as we started off, and we, we're honest, we, we battle with sin, we battle with our flesh, we battle with all sorts of stuff here, but we're grateful that you've come into our life and increasingly you change us. You make us less and less self-orientated, more and more God-orientated. You take us on a journey. We're experiencing you. We see you. We see you in part, Paul said, but then we shall know you fully. But these glimpses are fantastic, God. And we're so grateful for them because they light up a dark, dark world, really. We're so thankful that we can come into your presence, even in the face of mourning or grief or sickness, and just come into your presence and receive healing, receive peace, receive a complete fresh perspective in a flash sometimes, just by coming into your presence on earth. But we recognize, oh God, that all these are pointers to something which is much longer lasting and much more beautiful. Help us, God, I pray, in the weeks and months ahead to see you in eternity. To have a renewed idea of eternity. And may our renewed idea of eternity produce in us a greater willingness to suffer, if necessary, for the cause of Christ on earth. Paul said, if there is no resurrection, then we are to be pitied amongst all men. Why? Because we try and live lives here that 
honor you. Sometimes it involves self-denial. The atheists put adverts on buses saying, fill your boots, there's no God, do what you want. We're Christians, we believe in God, we fear God, and so we don't do everything that we want. Thank you, God, that you give us the strength to do that. I pray, O Lord, that you would lead all of us out of temptation, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, God. Lord, yours is the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Give us faith, Lord, we pray, to sustain us in the present. Give us faith for the future. Thank you that we have such a fantastic future ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.